Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come with your illumination to these words. Help them be life and breath. Amen. Conversations about the afterlife are, co- are a common occurrence in places like Good Samaritan Care Center, in which Kim and I are serving right now. Things like um, questions are asked, what do you think happens when you die? Hmm, after somebody says what they think, I nod knowingly. What do you think that will feel like? Have you talked to anybody else about what you think? Is there anyone you need to or want to talk about what you just said? It is amazing how many of us haven't thought very deeply about how we would answer these questions, let alone talk to our loved ones about our ideas and feelings. Preparing another sermon on eschatology forces me to think and articulate some of what I believe about last things and how they might influence how we live and think about the mission of the church. I am finding out, admittedly, so much of my thoughts stem from a mixture of seminal life experiences as well as recollections of my biblical and theological studies in my seminary education, which was 20 years ago. It's a long time ago to kind of try to pull something forward. But pair these with years of pastoral experience at the bedside of the dying and officiating at funerals, my approach now in this moment of time is one of personal humility to the topics at hand. Having never actually died, nor have been given an ecstatic vision of the end of all things, I can only stitch together a few thoughts that hopefully are helpful. Thankfully, scripture gives us some insight into these topics, even though they themselves are not definitive even though some may think so. No worries, I have no charts or timelines that I'll put up on the front of the chapel. Today's topic is the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the dead. As Christians, we profess our belief in the resurrection of Jesus. Our theology teaches us that after our Lord's suffering and death on the cross and then descent into hell, that's a whole other topic, but descent into hell, Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. He did not rise from the dead as a ghost or a shadow, nor 
did he emerge from the grave as just some imaginary hopeful thought? Scripture accounts give us a number of post-resurrection stories with Jesus encountering his disciples in what is described as a body similar to ours in that he eats and he drinks and dissimilar in its ability to pass through locked doors, appear and disappear, and then ascend into the heavenly realm. Jesus' resurrected body is also dissimilar to ours in that Jesus' voice was recorded in Scripture to be audibly heard by people such as the Apostle Paul, even after ascending. This glorified body is one the Christian church teaches Jesus embodies now. Growing up Catholic, I was introduced to many stories of saints of the church who had similar encounters of hearing Jesus' voice. Officially, that's called locutions, locutions, or actually seeing him in person. As a girl, the notion that at any moment, any moment, a bodily Jesus could appear in front of me freaked me out. It freaked me out. It still freaks me out. But freaks it. I can go back into my second grade self and go, ah! Anyway, I'm not sure the motivation of telling these narratives to young children other than to introduce them introduce them to the intersection of the natural and the supernatural worlds and open our imaginations to that which is beyond what we can see. I know that did that in me. I know it did. Freak me out, but it did it in me. It did it in me. Now, I chalk up many of the tales I heard in my youth to holy folklore. I do. You know, when a Benedictine nun sits and, you know, stands in front of a class and reads from this storybook of stories, and you're going, where do those stories come from? <clears throat> so, holy fo- folklore. Nevertheless, the stories such as, such as these drove the ho- point home that the resurrection of the body is real, is real, and and surrounding me is something beyond what I can touch. Surrounding me is something beyond what I can touch and see. The resurrection of the body was an important concept for the early Christians. And he writes, an Anglican theologian, historian, and the author of Surprised by Hope, states, From the earliest years of the church, followers of Jesus were uniform in their affirmation and confidence that Jesus has raised bodily from the dead. He had come through death, out the other side, and a new reality was born. Through the resurrection of Jesus, a new creation had begun. 
This foundational Christian belief in the resurrection led to an understanding of what happens after death that differs greatly from what most of us have been taught, or should I say caught, (laughs) caught from others. As N.T. Wright insists, the end is not about going to heaven when you die, but heaven coming to us. Heaven coming to us. As Revelation 21, 3 proclaims, see the home of God is among mortals. J. Phelan writes in Essential Eschatology, Our eternal destiny is not in heaven, but on a renewed earth in a renewed resurrection body. This is the Christian hope, a robust, vigorous hope that affirms the goodness of creation and the human body. According to N.T. Wright, the first Christians did not simply believe in life after death. They virtually never spoke of going to heaven when they died. When they did speak of heaven as a post-mortem destination, they seemed to regard this heavenly life as a temporary state on the way to the eventual resurrection of the body. They believed our physical bodies will be with us for all eternity. But they won't be just like this one we have now. In our lesson today, the Apostle Paul uses the metaphor of the seed to help us imagine what our resurrected bodies may be like. Paul tells us that our new bodies will be continuous with our physical bodies, like a plant is continuous with its original seed. It will be connected intimately to what was, but different in being something brand new. I can see the world. (laughs) Like in the natural world, it is only when the seed is buried In the earth can new life emerge. So it is with our bodies and their relation to resurrection. The Apostle Paul writes, when you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put in the ground is not the plant, that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. C.S. Lewis describes the resurrection of the body this way, and this is a great quote, so hold on. 
At present, we tend to think of the soul as somehow inside the body. But the glorified body of the resurrection, as I conceive it, C.S. Lewis says this, the sensuous life raised from the dead will be inside the soul. I'm going to read that again. At present, we tend to think of the soul as somehow inside the body. I can imagine that. But the glorified body of the resurrection, as I conceive it, the sensuous life raised from the dead, will be inside the soul. And then he says, as God is not in space, but space is in God, He goes on. I don't say the resurrection of this body will happen at once. It may, be, it may well be that this part of us sleeps in death and the intellectual soul is sent to Lenten lands where she fasts in naked spirituality, a ghost-like and imperfectly human condition. Yet from the fast, my hope is that we shall return and reassume the wealth we have laid down. So he's talking about intermediary states right there. So there's the in-between. This is C.S. Lewis. This is what he says. So he goes on. Then the new earth and sky, the same yet not the same as these, will rise in us as we have risen in Christ. And once again, after who knows what aeons of silence and the dark, the birds will sing and the waters flow and lights and shadows move across the hills and the faces of friends laugh upon us with amazed recognition. Guesses, of course, only guesses, he says. If they are not true, something better will be. For we know that we shall be made like him. We shall be made like him for we shall see him as he is. Whether or not you agree with Lewis's guess of what will be is not really as important as I think beginning to wonder how our theology of resurrection or lack thereof, shapes our understanding of who Jesus is and consequently how we live. Much like the author Kate Bowler points out in eloquent and substantial ways in her writing, 
many of us have been sold a counterfeit gospel, one that preaches only sweet and instantaneous promises of blessedness. I fear we may have traded I fear we may have traded in a weighty transformative faith for a saccharine individualistic sentimentality that whisks us away from a world of pain and suffering with an instantaneous space flight into the heavenly unknown. Denying the embrace of life now and the beauty and the mystery of resurrection that is to come that is far more grand than we could ever imagine. I know as I have been studying this in the last week, something inside of me is changing. It's changing. John 11, 25 through 26 I am the resurrection and the life, says the Lord. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Every Ash Wednesday, we are reminded that in dying, we rise as the ashes are placed on our foreheads. Themes of resurrection follow us every day to teach us. Are our eyes open? Can our ears hear? They show us who God is and who we are. You know, I think this is a really important discussion, something that we need to keep working on as a church. I was doing some, um, what was it, research, I think that's the word, research on um, funeral liturgies this week. Because I was aware, after we did the video series on Tuesday, working through that together, and um, how my... um, my shaping, my formation as a, as a young girl in the Catholic Church, I really don't have a lot of undoing with the flying away, you know, into glory. I don't have that. And I was like, what? You know, every funeral that I went to, how the afterlife, or that wasn't really talked about, you know, like, what is that that I don't have that? So I did some research. I was like, what, what is that? And I looked at the funeral liturgies, and it's all about resurrection. It's all about resurrection. The baptismal liturgy is about resurrection. You know, it's the identification with Christ. Um, so it's important. It's important what we say and what we sing and what we teach and how we talk. And I hope we get some new language, some new understandings. Our imaginations get bigger. So I'd like to close um, with this prayer from the fun- uh, funeral liturgy of the Anglican Church. 
Merciful Father, hear our prayers and comfort us. Renew our trust in your Son, whom you raised from the dead. Strengthen our faith that all who have died in the love of Christ will share in his resurrection, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.